1: Hey, welcome back to Real Presence Live here on the Real Presence Radio Network. I'm one of your hosts this morning, Brandon Clark, joined by Brad Gray, and we just finished up a, a very insightful, yeah. uh, a very yeah. fulfilling conversation about That's the fun. internal life. Yep. Uh, just any last—we didn't have uh, much time for you. You for know, your I, I would have
2: loved if the if the segment had not gone so darn quickly. I would have loved to get into the aspect of scrupulosity in the spiritual life because that can be a killer from the other angle, right? There's the aspect of not having a spiritual life, but then there can be the the counterpoint of, of scrupulosity and being overly con- consumed with this question of, am I doing it well enough? Am I? And so that's perhaps something for, for the next time around. huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to move on this morning with uh, Father Peter Sharp. He's a priest of the diocese of Fargo. And uh, we're going to talk about explaining to our non-Catholic, but baptized friends, mm. why they're not able to receive the Eucharist. I mean, just in general, you know, probably from, from teaching RCAA, yep. it, it's difficult to explain why, even candidates cannot yes. receive the eucharist. Yeah, it's
2: something we have to hit early on every year because it is, it's something that seems so insulting, right? But let's, uh, we got Father Peter Sharp on the line. Let's let's welcome Father. Good morning to you, mm-hmm. Father.
3: Good morning, gentlemen.
2: So happy to have you on with us. Um, can you tell us a little bit, Father, about yourself, uh, you know, where you are now? You're going to be going off to, to a new land. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and where you're from.
3: All right. Well, again, my name is Father Peter Sharp. I'm a uh, been a priest here in the Diocese of Fargo for almost 11 years. Anniversary is tomorrow, I believe. Aquila, ah, happy uh, anniversary. Thank you. Yes, mm-hmm. I, And uh, I've been the last seven and a half years here in Velva, North Dakota, on the, the western edge of the diocese, and it's been a great assignment. I've been here at Velva and Carl Drew, uh, two small parishes, but uh, a lot of families, and it's been a real gift working in religious education, uh, you know, the, the Wednesday night stuff, and uh, doing sacramental preparation work with the kids, and just getting to know uh, this part of the state. I uh, Originally, I, I have to admit this, and I please do not judge me harshly, I'm not a native North Dakotan. I came from Oregon. I was born in Portland, Oregon, raised as a, as a Baptist, as a matter of fact.
4: I was wow. baptized
3: in the Sandy River in Oregon when I was seven years old. Hmm. And, uh, and then uh, I, I was part of the, the Bethlehem community. It was a evangelical um, Baptist group that uh, started in the... In the 70s, as a house ministry program, and then the Lord called it to greater communal life in the 80s. And then in the 90s, early 90s, we had moved to Vancouver, Washington. And the Lord really put it on the hearts of the adult members to seek a greater commitment um, and a, a bigger church. And after you know a number of years of inquiry, we, we were able to enter into the Catholic Church in mm. Vancouver, Washington. And mm. I was 16 years old at the time. Wow. So this so, was the I mean, whole
2: community or your family? Yeah, or?
3: that was the whole community. Basically, it's, it's always been a small group. Um, there's oh. about I don't was it twenty some people at the time, wow. four families, a number of single people. Still going. Uh, it's up in Bathgate, North Dakota. They run a uh, publishing business for homeschoolers and a answering service for Ignatius Press. And uh, and I have um, so I, I grew up in that in that environment and. Um, Became Catholic, as I said, when I was 16, went to college at a liberal arts school down in California, and uh, then came back and worked for a while, and then realized I needed to clarify my vocational uh, life, uh, and ended up going over to Rome for a couple of years to a house the formation called Casa Balthazar. That was in the early 2000s,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and I came back and uh, finished college. And um, by the, the, the grace of the diocese's willingness to work with me, I entered Cardinal Minch for a year, and then did four years at Mount St. Mary's
1: seminary. Mm. Wow. So, Father, you were ba- You said you were baptized at seven years old in the Sandy River, and uh, you came into the church at 16 years old. So, this topic that we're talking about this morning is something that you've actually experienced, yep. being non-Catholic yep. but baptized. So, um, this is a, an article that was written in the uh, New Earth, the Diocese mm. of Fargo Diocesan publication. Is this something that, a topic that, that you came up with, or, or where did the idea of this topic come from?
3: Well, I was approached... Uh, by a uh, person down there who, I think, was it Christina Larr? I'm not sure. Uh, but they um, they sent a letter out asking if I be willing to do the article. I said, okay, and they gave a list of topics that had been submitted by people in the diocese. Uh, they had, I don't know if it was 20-some, 25, a number of them had already been taken by priests. And as I was going down the list, I, I saw this one, which personally is interesting to me. I deal with it as a pastor. I think it's one that we need to keep finding the ways to explain better to people, because uh, it's uh, not immediately uh, obvious. There are some things in the Catholic teaching that are you know, pretty black and white, pretty, pretty upfront. You know, It's not, not complicated. Mm-hmm. This one um, is clear, the teaching of the Church is clear, but uh, people don't often, I find, uh, figure it out for themselves easily. And I certainly have had to keep trying to increase my knowledge of this question over
1: the years. So let's look at it from your personal experience first, Father. Um, so as a as a non Catholic but baptized uh, y- youngster who was coming into the church at sixteen, you know what what was that like for you in in the ante- anticipation of receiving the Eucharist, but knowing that you weren't able to receive the Eucharist at that point.
3: Well, again, the thing that was fascinating about the way the Lord worked my personal story was that I'd kind of had a religious awakening I'd say at about 15 started to try to pray more so coming into the church was kind of a very natural progression I, I would have to admit it took me 10 years to become comfortable being Catholic because mm, <laughs> really? there was all kinds of stuff that I mean you kind of you accept but you just you don't quite know what to deal with and, and mm. how to how to uh, well it just, it just in terms of you know you have to take a while to experience things and And then, again, coming from the outside, at least uh, it's new, and so at least it's kind of interesting. Um, But the Eucharist itself, I'm trying to think back, now that you put me on the spot there with that (laughs) particular point. Oops. I I remember when I was, we were very, at the very beginning, when we were looking into the coming of the Church, going to a Catholic Mass and having no clue what was going on. Um, You remember that song that came out a few years ago, quite a few years ago now, by that Catholic comedian, uh, Do We Stand or Do We Kneel? yeah uh, anyway it it's it, it, totally my experience you you're watching very carefully what other people are doing and having a very hard time following what's going on and uh so that was that was uh, <laughs> that was my experience hmm. um i remember though that uh you know the the i don't think it was difficult i don't think it was difficult for me to get my mind around the the basic theology not that i understood it perfectly um because in our Baptist church, our home church that we had, we had uh, my father, who was one, of the lay well, he was one of the ministers in this kind of home Baptist, small Baptist church that we had. He, he always believed in the Lord's words that it really was his body, and it really was his blood. Hmm. He didn't, again, have a full Catholic understanding at the time, but he took the Lord very upfront with those words. And so the, the idea of grappling with the, the Lord's presence there, I don't remember having a huge issue with that. Now, how to learn how to respect the Lord in the Eucharist, and I remember going into a Catholic church again, either right before we got became Catholic or right afterwards, and the monstrance was out, and we I, I figured out that we're supposed to do a double genuflection. We were at, you know, at the time, that was what we saw people doing, and but I think I remember doing it, and then, and then I realized afterwards, my great chagrin, that the, the monstrance, I mean, the, the host was not yet exposed. The monstrance was just empty <laughs> and in the altar, you know what I mean? But at least I was aware that you're supposed to do something. Uh...
2: That's awesome. Well, Father, so as we look at this aspect of receiving Holy Communion, obviously, the the conversation is illuminated by the fact that this is, in many ways, the uh, key—it's the focal point of our Catholic faith, right? And um, so, let's let's maybe shift our focus a little bit onto the importance and the beauty of the Eucharist itself uh, as we begin to discuss this question of, you know, how do we talk with others— about this most dignified sacrament and why it's, it's necessary to refrain from that until we're in communion with, uh, with the, the Catholic Church. So, let's focus first on, um, what it, explain the importance and the beauty of the Eucharist. Well,
3: I want to go back to a class I had in seminary. You know, I, I went through, I think I tell people I got to like 22nd or 23rd grade, so I had a lot of classes <laughs> over the years, and most of them I don't remember. One I do remember <laughs> Is there's a man named Doctor Robert Miller who's now teaching, I believe, at Catholic University of America in the Scriptural mm-hmm. Department, and he was talking to us about um, Genesis. And again, the Catholic view is is that the language there can be taken literally or poetically. It's not the Church has not made a final decision about that um, in terms of the of what you know the, the the interview with Satan and Eve and Adam there, and and what and what the an original. Uh, transgression was. You know, it, it, it's poetic language. Is it describing an actual event, or is it describing, in poetic language, what happened? It's describing something that truly happened. That Church does certainly teach that. Mm-hmm. But he was making the point. He said, look, it's very clear that whatever the original transgression, the original uh, sin of Adam was, it must have involved eating. Mm. It must have involved eating. And, and, and then he said, gentlemen, here's why. Because the Lord, when he came, when, when Jesus establishes the Eucharist, it was something that we had to eat. Mm-hmm. That's the way God works, right? If there's a transgression, then God makes it up, and often he does it in a way that, that, that kind of is, is similar to the um, to the original thing. You know, Adam fell, and but there's a new Adam. Mm-hmm. And Adam ate and disobeyed God. And now we obey Christ and eat his body and blood, soul and divinity. So, I thought that was just an interesting point about that, mm-hmm. because the, the importance of the, of the Eucharist, the eating part, it really is true. Sometimes we get very focused on the adoration part, which is an, an essential part of, of our Catholic uh, spiritual life, right? This idea of adoring the Lord at Mass. Certainly, we bow, right? I'm always mm-hmm. trying to teach my third graders to remember to bow. I don't know how good they are at remembering. But they, you bow to the Lord. He's present there, right? But on the other hand, the reality is, is that he's meant to be eaten. The 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 uh, Eucharist is meant to be eaten. Even the host in the monstrance at some point will be taken out and consumed by the priest, right? Mm-hmm. And so, this idea of the, of the Eucharist being bread for the journey, the idea of it being the um, the, the strength of of for the, on the pilgrim's way, to me is, is very key. And this is why, again, we receive it more than once. We just uh, I. For the first time in my priesthood, I just confirmed my third graders. I've done confirmation before in, in other circumstances a couple times, but because of this COVID uh, reality that we're dealing with, I I gave First Eucharist, Holy Communion, and confirmation uh, to my third graders, most of them, this this last past weekend. Mm-hmm. And the reality, again, it's so interesting how confirmation happens once, right? We're, we're changed by the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to proclaim the Gospel in a new way. But the Eucharist is something... We continue to receive, to, to, to give us the strength uh, uh, for to stay on the track and on the road to heaven.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're just tuning in right now, we are uh, listening to, or we're speaking with Father Peter Sharp, and we're speaking about the the value, the dignity of the Eucharist, but we're speaking especially about the aspect of how do we share with our non-Catholic friends uh, why it is that they are not invited to receive uh, the Eucharist. And Father, you were just talking about this aspect of our need for an ongoing um uh, ongoing reception of the Eucharist on the other side of this break we want to come back and dive into that into that point a little bit more fully so stay with us we'll be back with more real presence live just after this
0: live engaging and local this is real presence live where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the real presence radio network
3: Discover us at online.umary.edu slash discovermary.
0: Easter greetings. This is Steve Sponskowski. I hope you are all safe and well. It has been a great joy to serve as executive director for Real Presence Radio for just over 13 years. It has been a very blessed time for my family and a great opportunity to learn to serve and trust. Our family has discerned that the Lord is calling us to step out on the water in faith and follow Him. Where that will lead, we do not yet know, but we are beginning our search. I am working on a transition plan with our board of directors and Real Presence Radio is now accepting applications for the position of executive director. It is a very rewarding opportunity for somebody with a great love for the church, evangelization through radio, and a proven skill for leadership. For more information and a job description, call us at 701-795-0122 and ask for Brittany or email Brittany at realpresenceradio.com. Thank you for all we have been able to accomplish together, and thank you for your continued prayers for Real Presence Radio and our family. Mayo Pharmacy in Bismarck is a faith-based pharmacy committed to delivering excellent care. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join in the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show.
2: And welcome back to Real Presence Live. We are so grateful and privileged that you have joined us this morning. I'm one of your hosts, Brad Gray, joined by my co-host.
1: Brandon Clark, are you like reliving the hairband days? Oh, yeah. You know, just rocking yeah, it out in the studio I am, here? Totally. <laughs> Hopefully I had the hair to, to
2: headbang like I used to. I
1: still, I have never seen a picture, well, but I, just, I, I hear that. I just
2: came across all my pictures of my long hair, so it was oh my kind of fun. Yep. <laughs> we got Eli on the other side of the glass. We could live it right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those long flowing locks. All right. We've been having a conversation with Father Peter Sharp about the Eucharist. And as we were going into break... Um, we were talking about this, this aspect of how the Lord really wants us to routinely, consistently feed upon Him. He that, that, uh, He makes Himself so present and so available. And in one, in many ways, it, it actually communicates to us the depth of our need, right? That, that we need to keep coming back and being fed over and over again. Um, so, Father, one of the things that, uh, that we want to talk about this morning is this question of, worthily receiving the Eucharist and, and what's right and fitting in First Corinthians 11, Paul cautions people about receiving the Eucharist unworthily and that he says that because many of them are not, they're eating and drinking judgment upon themselves and they're making themselves guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Um, so, what are the kind of certain requirements to worthily receive the Eucharist and, and why are they in place?
3: Well, I want to talk about two aspects. Um, First of all, just in the general reception, right, that you, you need to be baptized to receive the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And it, nowadays, people don't often think about that, because, you know, there still are quite a few people that are baptized. But you need to be baptized, and you also need to be believing what the Catholic Church teaches and trying to live what the Catholic Church asks you to live. So you have to be, you have to be aware of, not, you have to be not conscious, as they say, of, of mortal sin, you know, if you've gone out and you've, you've stolen uh, 12 cars uh, and you haven't uh, repented of that, uh, it's not the time to receive the Lord. You're, you're not, you're, your soul is not in tune uh, with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've had a bad day and you've been, you know, rude to your kids or um, looked bad about somebody and, uh, you're, and you're sorry about that, it's been a venial sin, it's still a sin, but still, uh, that's that's okay. The Lord comes and He can. the Eucharist can heal that. He, the Eucharist heals venial sins, one of the teachings of the Church. Mm-hmm. But also there's the reality that we need to fast from food and drink an hour before Mass. It used to be longer. The Church made it very limited. But still the point is is that we're supposed to be prepared in soul and in body to receive the Lord. So there's both an internal and an external thing the Church asks. And the other thing that's fascinating is that we have to receive the Eucharist once a year to be a good practicing Catholic. That's a good piece of trivia for when you're in, next time we're in quarantine, yes. you know. How often, uh, to be a practicing Catholic, how often do you have to receive the Eucharist? And the reality is, once a year, usually in the Easter time.
2: Mm-hmm. Although that's kind oh. of like the doctor saying, you must eat once every two weeks in order to stay alive, right?
3: There you go. There you go. <laughs> that's uh, the, the bare minimum. Yep. But uh, to be a practicing Catholic—and by the way, that's another thing that I just have used, learned to say when I'm speaking to people. You see, if you want to be a Catholic, practicing Catholic, here's where the Church says. Because if you say, if you want to be a Catholic, people say, well, I'm a Catholic father, blah, 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 and like, no, no, you're fine, sure, of course, you're baptized, you're, you're a Catholic. Mm-hmm. But if you want to be a practicing Catholic, then you need to go to confession if you've committed a mortal sin before receiving the Eucharist, you need to, you know, fast, and you need to receive it at least once a year to be a practicing Catholic.
2: Mm. Yes. So, as we talk about, you know, these, these requirements for receiving the Eucharist, how do we explain to, let's say, a good and virtuous non-Catholic friend who loves the Lord very much, um, why they are not able to receive the Eucharist? It can seem very insulting and kind of like the Church looking down her nose saying, you're not good enough. Um, these people are good enough, but you're not good enough. How do you deal with that? Well,
3: it, not easily, not necessarily, depending on what the people are, uh, you know, how how attuned they are. You know, yeah. I I give a, a little... Talk or a, a brief word at, the, at usually at funerals because we often have Catholics and Protestants and non Christians there, non practicing uh, people there, and you know it's just. Uh, but when if, if we have, a, I, I, I just explain what we do, which is that you know if you're practicing your faith at this time, you're welcome to come forward. Uh, if you're not Catholic or not practicing, then either remain in your pew or come forward with your arms crossed, you um, know, so that we know who's who. But. Um, but if I actually have a chance to talk with them, then I go into uh, a, a brief description. And I, I wrote this up for, my, for the article, and if you don't mind, I'll just read it here. Yes, I, uh, because it Because it, it's something like this. So, um, the best direct explanation I can give goes something like this. When you say amen and receive communion at Mass, you are publicly declaring that you believe that all that the Catholic Church teaches and believes. Further, you are acknowledging that you are trying to live as the Catholic Church expects. So if you don't believe all that the Catholic Church believes or aren't living according to our standards, and it's, of course, in major ways, when you receive communion, it would be like you're publicly saying a lie, which, of course, you wouldn't want to do.
4: Because mm-hmm.
3: I think that amen that we say, you know, we kind of, most of us don't even pay attention to it, probably, because we do it so often, but when you're saying that amen to those words, the body of Christ, then that means something. Mm-hmm. I, I tell this to people at baptism. You know, when, when you make the, the promise on behalf of your children, you're going to raise them Catholic. Um, the Lord's going to talk to you about this at, the, at your, when you when, when you when you meet Him. He's going to say, "Did you you know you said these words?" Yep. And and you better have a good answer because he, he takes it very seriously. The Church takes it very seriously. And again, not to be harsh on people or angry at people or whatever, but just to say words mean something, and this "Amen" means something. Mm-hmm. And and so that's that's kind of how I I begin the conversation.
1: Father, I think uh, as a married man listening here, um, I, I think about the the vows that my wife and I exchanged. You know, um, before sure. we were husband and wife, of course. But when we exchanged those vows publicly in front of. The, the entire uh, gathering of people at the church, you know, and, and that, that sacrament, it, it formed, formed a covenant. Is there any relation to, to the, uh, <clears throat> the sacrament of matrimony, the, the, the public expression of vows and, and what, we're, what we're doing when we say amen or I believe when we receive the Eucharist? Is there any tie-in there?
3: You know, that's a really deep question, mm-hmm. which I can't pretend to answer uh, without preparation. But I would say my initial thought was that the Church very clearly says, based on St. Paul, that Christ is in a nuptial relationship with the Church. Mm-hmm. And there is, you know, he, he offers, he lays down his life, he, he gives his body to his bride, and and there's a reception there um, that's, you know, the. Connected, I mean, there, there's a there's an, there's an analogy between the the one flesh union between husband and wife, right? All these things again, analogy. Yeah. And again, a very deep, deep question, uh, but certainly that uh, the words again matter. It, you know, it, what the Catechism says that the the Eucharist is properly the sacrament of those who are in full communion with the Church, right? Mm-hmm. And the marriage is properly the sacrament of those who are adults right you have there actually is, there's an age limit you have to be a certain age to re, to become married right uh and so again there's just there's really is there, there this the eucharist is this beautiful gift of the lord but it's meant to bring us to maturity it's meant to be done in maturity mm-hmm. now again this is not it's a little again it's again it's an analogy between marriage and 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 um baptized christian at this point right. because the catholic church says you have to be 7 you have to be the age of reason in order to receive the Eucharist, right? Um, it's presumed by the age of seven. So there, there, there's a sense there, though, the Eucharist is meant to be a a free choice and a knowing choice. It's meant to be something that is done between um, people who who know what's going on.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: It's, there's some thoughts there.
2: Yeah, and I think... It's you a know, very hard question. Along with very that, good question. You, you, what you are mentioning there, Father, I think is, is actually quite profound in that um, I think both... Uh, marital union and Eucharistic communion are both kind of analogies for the union that we're ultimately aimed at and oriented. And, and, and in fact, the Eucharistic communion is perhaps the, more, the closer of the two, right? I mean, it's sure. all about the two sure. of them really becoming one, which is what we're made for sure. uh, by virtue of our creation and, right. and our orientation toward God, that um, this expresses to us uh, what, we're, what our destiny is. And, and right. marriage certainly does that in terms of a physical concrete expression of that by way of life, a union of lives. Yep. And communion, there's, the, there's kind of the, this, this coming together where, you know, Christ's own flesh, uh, his, his body and blood, soul and divinity comes into me and I'm brought into him. And uh, it communicates to us that we're made for something radically beyond what we experience on a day-to-day basis, right?
3: Exactly. And the thing that I also tell people about is that don't expect the Eucharist to be an emotional experience all the time, mm-hmm. because sometimes people are looking for that. If it happens, that's wonderful. It's a spiritual experience. Yes. And the spirit and the emotion in this fallen world that we in are aren't always in tune, you know? But something truly does happen when we receive the Eucharist in a state of grace.
2: Yeah. So, kind of as a bit of a recap of what you're saying, Father, that... Um, when we go forward, we receive the Eucharist, we make a physical expression of faith, uh, we make a verbal expression of faith in, in the amen, and that what the church is really calling us to, is it's not, it's not making a determination of you're fit and you're not fit, it's calling for an integrity of action. Right? Right. Like, like, our actions and our words would express the reality of our state, of our being. Yeah. Like, I actually am in communion with this yeah. Church. I actually do believe and profess all that yeah. the Holy Catholic Church teaches and pro- proclaims to be revealed by okay. God. That yeah. it's,
3: I am a sinner, who's, who has already just publicly declared that a little bit earlier in the Mass, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm also believing that God's uh, power is, has changed my life, and I want it to continue to change my life.
1: Yeah. Father, thanks so much for being on with this uh, this morning. Uh, if you do want to read Father's entire article, you can find it on the Diocese of Fargo website. Just search for the New Earth. I believe mm-hmm. it was. It, remind me, was it April or May? I believe it was April. April, yeah. yes. Um, and and you can find that they have that uh, cataloged there. So thank you again, Father. We we sure yeah. appreciate your time and explaining this uh, this beautiful gift we have um, to to a, a difficult answer sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, gentlemen, God bless you. Thank you so much. You God too. bless you, Father. Up next, uh, we've got a lot of prayer intentions that are submitted every day here at Real Presence Radio. We're going to take those before our Lord as we pray the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. Plus, find out who wins the donuts this week as we honor one mm. special priest and honor our fathers. Careful. Oh, no boy. drooling. Oh, boy. We'll be back as Real Presence Live continues right after this.